0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 46th episode of a bi weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend back from the desert, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you today? Footy Zach, the prodigal son has returned. Footy. I would pray
1: that you're not talking about yourself. I may, I may be, I may also be talking about Joe Linton, but we'll get to that.
0: All right. Yes, the the Prodigal Son has returned. The Brazilian striker, the forty million dollar man, coming good or maybe just a bit more than he was previously. So slightly less shit. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be talking Newcastle's two matches uh, so far in Project Restart. From there, we will go into just a few other top storylines from uh, the matches that have occurred so far at the time of our recording, which is Wednesday evening, June 24th. Uh, yeah, so some more top storylines from the weekend in the Premier League, and then we'll look forward to what's remaining in the rest of the season, uh, do some Champions League talk, and then, of course, 10-90, and 90, so kind of keeping it simple today, Adam. Keeping it
1: simple, that's what we do. We've got football back now, so we've got things to talk about. And then we've got opinions for days.
0: I I actually did not watch the match live this weekend. I was away on a camping trip, but I, um, you know, in in the spirit of a true fan, turned off my technology and recorded the game. So had no idea what the result was. And um, to, to come back from a nice weekend, a nice kind of cleansing weekend in the mountains, and then sit down in my home and watch Newcastle, batter Sheffield United for our biggest win of the season Newcastle with their first 3-0 win in league play in 14 months uh, what a delight that was Adam
1: what a shock yep. too delight indeed and, and to your point we weren't really expecting that against Sheffield United at all so good to see the team back in action good to see the team
0: in winning
1: form and all but really securing their place in the Premier League next season.
0: Yeah, so the the victory not only improving our <laughs> miserably bad goal differential three goals, uh, but giving us three vital points uh, against a top half side. Um, so two matches have occurred. So we'll, Sheffield United one will brush on really quickly. Um, you know, a very emphatic win with goals from... Uh, Alan St. Maximin uh, on a mistake by Sheffield United's defense. And then Matt Ritchie with an absolute corker of a shot. Uh, and then finished off by Joe Linton, getting a goal uh, after what I considered to be a, a quite good game by him. And, a, you know, you could tell he put a lot into that match. So good 3-0 win. And then today, uh, a 1-1 draw at home against uh, Aston Villa. So four points in two matches. Newcastle now sits 12 points above the relegation zone with seven matches to play, as Adam said, all but safe at this point. Yeah, I think, you know,
1: I said this to you earlier, I think if if you'd have offered us four points from six in those opening two home matches against Villa and Sheffield United, I think most fans probably would have taken that. They probably would have thought it would be the other way around, though, in that we draw against Sheffield United and maybe beat Villa. But you know what? Still undefeated um, since we've come back two games in. Uh, five games undefeated for the two now going into a big big uh, game this weekend Uh, we're on our way to Wembley maybe I don't know if that's where the final will be at this point but (laughs) we're potentially on our way to an FA Cup final we've just got to get through that small hurdle first of Manchester City at home on Sunday
0: A big match coming up indeed, but before we jump into that, uh, this morning I reached out to the rest of our fellow staff members here at Coming Home Newcastle and asked if anybody had uh, just a quick soundbite that they wanted to share with me as to how they thought Newcastle had performed in the first two matches since coming back from the break. So uh, Elijah Newsome, one of the core contributors here at Coming Home Newcastle, and Co-host of CHN Radio uh, reached out, and uh, he wanted to share a few of his thoughts. So here's Elijah with his feelings on Newcastle's two performances since the beginning of Project Restart.
2: Elijah here from the old CHN Radio boys, um, the Better Podcast, and that's that's for you, Adam. Um, just giving my quick thoughts on Newcastle's start. Well, I guess restart to the Premier League, and honestly, I can't complain. Four points from six, you can't really complain about that. Started off strong against Sheffield, um, and it's it's nice to see certain players um, playing really well. I think Joel Linton's had a, a solid start um, back to back in action. He's looking a lot better. Um, Alan St. Maxman and Miguel Almiron looking really good as well, um, so Honestly, just happy Newcastle are just, you know, ever so close to safety um, and started off strong, like I said, against Sheffield and then followed it up with a draw against Aston Villa. Nothing to write home about, but nothing to be too disappointed about as well. Um, this is Steve Bruce who's managing Newcastle. It's not Mauricio Pochettino. So you take what you can take.
0: Appreciate the thoughts there, Elijah. Uh, and as we mentioned now. The reigning Premier League and FA Cup winning champions, Manchester City, uh, coming to Newcastle on Sunday, as, as you mentioned there, Adam, uh, and it's going to be interesting. So, so something I I want to touch upon um, is the style of football that Newcastle has played since coming back from project restart. So, a big criticism of Steve Bruce throughout the year was this five at the back that seemed to really limit um any sort of offensive potency that Newcastle could have and more importantly isolated Joe Linton as this striker on an island if you will. Uh now since actually back in March before uh the COVID break but now again since the restart we've been playing four at the back uh Set up as a four-two-three-one. I would say, kind of more. When the game begins, I, I think that Mickey Almiron is almost playing as a second striker, just off the shoulder. So I, I think mm-hmm. you'd consider it a bit more of a four-four-two. Um, but yeah, we we've seen a lot of positive signs from Newcastle going forward since project restart.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think this that switch in formation started a little bit before the COVID break, um, and Bruce is now kind of. After we <laughs> gave him a tarred time in our uh, looking at next managerial candidates for Newcastle about his lack of tactics, and we talked about the 4 formations of all the other potential candidates, now Brucey's gone that way too, and he's uh, decided that he's going to give it a whirl, and he's done pretty well with it so far. you got you got to be honest, since he's made that adjustment in formations, I think that the team has looked pretty good. That is, with the exception of today against Villa, I thought it was probably... It reminded me of some of the really inept games that we saw earlier on in the season where you just watched it and you were like, oh, this was this was tough to get through as a Newcastle fan, tough to watch. Bruce is not the most tactically astute of managers, um, but I will give him credit in that he made some positive substitutions today that turned the game for Newcastle and gave us the 1-0 lead. Yeah, that
0: that, that is true. Dwight Gale being the one getting the goal for- for Newcastle in this match uh, I think scoring the goal about two minutes after stepping onto the pitch and being assisted by the other substitute Andy Carroll so astute substitutes I I would still criticize Bruce in the timing for the substitutions I find it very very confusing and I think bordering on dangerous to not be making substitutions until around the 80th minute uh you know, with with these tired legs and with the same lineup that played this weekend, and uh, again a game coming up this weekend, I think you're really kind of tempting fate to be playing the exact same lineup and not really substituting a lot of those players. Um, but that being said, yeah, it it was uh, a good substitution today, um, albeit the goal coming from an awful lapse in defense from the Villa defense. Uh, I, I I would I hope that most players could have scored that goal that Dwight Gale put away.
1: Yeah, I thought he finished it pretty well. Um, but, you know, you got to get into that position to to your point. And um, something I think we both saw earlier on was a tweet that said Andy Carroll in his last eight Premier League games now has the same number of assists as Mesut Ozil has in the last two seasons. So uh, that's a scary statistic right there. Yeah,
0: well, Andy Carroll is a, kind of an anomaly this season because he, I think, is the first striker I've ever seen who's brought on not to score goals, but to assist and hold up play and and really just purely purely bring other players into the game because he his stat line is astounding. he's played almost no time this season, and he has five assists and zero goals, which is yep. just mind blowing to to think about a striker with that stat line, but you're right you know his his effectiveness for Newcastle has been heading the ball down it's it's been kind of controlling the ball using not just his height but his physical ability he's a very strong man andy carroll uh and that's what we saw today and it got us the goal to get us a point and like you said not not a great result it was pretty disappointing to see us perform this way after being so positive on the weekend but you know right now it's it's a case of get get newcastle safe and then just uh, get kind of wrap, wrap the season up on a positive note exactly yeah it's all
1: about survival right and I think you know for the most part we're there I I did I did agree with your point earlier on um when you were talking about substitutes with that game upcoming this weekend I think that you know especially with players that have histories of muscle problems like Alan St. Maximin playing a lot of games in quick succession he didn't need to be on the field like I would have pulled him off right after we went one nil up right I didn't Bring a defender on, make the team a little bit more compact. I like that they brought Carroll on because I feel like Carroll actually is good at defending set pieces and I feel a little bit more stable when we're trying to defend a lead with him on the field. Um, But, you know, we've got five substitutes. Why not use all of them, number one, and and why wait to use them, number two?
0: I I could not agree more. I think that St. Maximin is is a really good shout for that because... Although he, he certainly tracks back and, and puts in a shift defensively, that's obviously not why you have him on the field. And, and when you get that 1-0 lead against Villa, who've had a horrid time scoring goals this season, yeah, put, take him out, put in, let's say, Fabian Schar, go go 5 at the back then. You you can kind of shut it down at 1-0. Um, and, you know, you might still give up a goal, but you're not going to give up 2. And you're right, it, it seemed puzzling to leave in St. Maxim and a guy who's never going to shy away from a challenge or uh, an opportunity to take somebody on. And luckily enough, he seemed to not, not come away with any knock. But that being said, Matt Ritchie and Isaac Hayden both coming off the field, uh, getting substituted. Um, you know, both of them, it, it seemed like it was more precautionary. But again, it's, you're playing with fire if you're going to play the same lineup, week or match in and match out with so many matches condensed in such a short span of time
1: let me ask you this about about those two who if they if either one were to miss a prolonged period of time who do you think would be the bigger loss hayden or
0: richie at this point in the season? I, I think that's a really good question because richie has been gone for a large part of the season but he looked so bright against sheffield united i think that he was one of our best performers in that match even you know even discounting his goal i thought he was brilliant um but I, I would say at the moment Isaac Hayden would be the the bigger loss. I think that he um, has had a return to form since probably around January uh, and has looked to be you know that defensive center midfielder that that we need to have paired with with a player like John Joe Shelby. And I think that. Um, we'll go into this man of the match. I think that Hayden was our man of the match against Sheffield United. I think that he anchored that center midfield and I think that he would be the bigger loss just based on what we have in reserve at the moment.
1: Yeah. With, with the added thought that we have some injuries in that position too, right? You, you'd think that you might have a, you know, one of the Longstaff brothers come in potentially um, and jump into the side for them. And both of them are injured and not making the squad right now. So I think from a strength and depth standpoint i think that we have more coverage right now in richie's position than we do in hayden's position and i also think that hayden is probably more important to the team um just from a kind of structure and a um a formation standpoint currently with the way that bruce is trying to play um, mm-hmm. with having those kind of two shelby and hayden sitting in front of the back four so um I, I would tend to agree with you on that one
0: yeah i i think so i think you'd be able to put in like valentino lazaro could come in for Matt Ritchie or or somebody like that, or even Christian Atsu could come in and and kind of fill that role. Uh, So I'll ask you, for for the match today, who do you think was man of the match for Newcastle? It's
1: interesting. You you mentioned Hayden being your man of the match um, against Sheffield United very quickly. I I would say that St. Maximum was probably my man of the match for that one. Was impressed with how he kept himself in good shape over the break. Um, Didn't really skip a beat. Kind of came right back into the game and I think that his decision making has improved a lot as well mm-hmm. um, his final ball, his um, passing versus um, shooting every time um, being able to play that through ball and I think his accuracy has improved a little bit there so I was impressed with him in the first game I actually thought it was, there wasn't really a massive standout for me I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about picking a man of the match, for me I think somebody who I'll give a shout um, had a couple of important clearances um, in the game thought I thought did pretty well and now is one of the first names on the team sheet which is surprising you wouldn't have thought this at the beginning of the season Javi Mankio Um, I really enjoyed his game today he made a couple clearances when crosses were put into the box I thought he defended that right hand side really really well and there's no not even a whisper of DeAndre Yedling ousting him from that team right now like he is the starting right back through the end of the season without a doubt for me.
0: Yeah, Avi Manquillo is easily in my mind the most improved player of the season for Newcastle. Um, mm-hmm. a, a guy who was like even maybe third in line in the pecking order at, at times this season for right back. I agreed. I, I think he did play really well. He was really. He, he was really effective in, in guarding those crosses and you saw him on a number of corners be the guy to clear the ball away yeah i, I think it would, for today it was him or saint maximin um i think saint maximin did have you know his typical flashes of brilliance he had that cross in the first half that just kind of fizzed across the top of the six yard box and nobody was mm-hmm. able to get to it but no i, I like monkeo for a shout
1: and a shot for saint maximin that went just kind of right right mm-hmm. wide of the upright in the second half i thought he made the space for himself really, really well and um, made the right choice to shoot from there, just lacking a bit of accuracy. But the goals are the goals are coming. It's nice to see him on the score sheet, Joe Linton on the score sheet. And FA Cups on Sunday. Miggy's got four in the tournament so far. He'll be on the score sheet on
0: Sunday, no doubt. I love that. Yeah, Miggy being played in that number 10 role really, really, like, finally at his most comfortable there. So it's been good to see him kind of reemerge as one of the top players for Newcastle after he just like Joe Linton, had a bit of a slow start to his Newcastle career. Uh, so going on for, from Newcastle, as we mentioned, we we have that match coming up this weekend, the FA Cup quarterfinals. Very exciting that the furthest Newcastle has gotten in the tournament in over a decade. But there's some other storylines for the weekend. And so I, I think that we should start with um, the... <laughs> the offensive onslaught that our upcoming opponents in the FA Cup quarterfinal, Manchester City, has put on Arsenal and Burnley. Eight goals in two games since Project Restart uh, has commenced, and oh, Man City just looks like they are they are playing with anger right now. Yeah, eight goals in
1: two games, but also, I think more notably, zero goals conceded. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a huge opportunity area for them before the break. No surprise, Zach, that that coincides with Amaric Laporte returning to the team. Absolutely. So that that, that was a big thing for me, I noticed. Um, The other other thing I would say about City right now is they're rotating the team really, really well, and they're not scared to do it. I mean, it's easy to rotate the team when you've got a team of all-stars like Manchester City have, but everybody has the same squad size, right? And um, I've noticed that, you know, Aguero got hauled off at halftime in the game against Burnley, and... You know, when do Man City score five goals and Aguero and Jesus don't get them the goals, right? That happened in that 5-0 win against Burnley. So good rotation from um, um, from City. And I think just, you know, seeing them continue the good form is as something that really worries me for Sunday. Um, I, I, did, I wasn't as nervous going into the game that we drew 2-2 at Newcastle as I am going into Sunday. I just feel like they've got a bit of a point to prove. Um, They want to take home some domestic silverware and they're still in the Champions League too, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. So Premier League is done. Um, So realistically, it's these two tournaments that I think City are concentrating on and they're using the Premier League as as a way to kind of get through to
0: those games and, and potentially put people to the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pep Guardiola pretty clearly said in an interview yesterday that Newcastle is the game he's focused on right now, not Chelsea, which says a lot, especially because if Manchester City drops points at Chelsea tomorrow, then the title is Liverpool's. It's, it's, the season has ended um, for the title race. So, So the fact that Pep Guardiola is clearly stating that the Newcastle match matters more is telling about his priorities for the remainder of the season.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. Pep is um, Pep is an astute manager, right? I think he knows where he should be spending his time and his energy. And I think that the FA Cup is um, something that he's going to put some good stock in, uh, especially as you know, they've got the Champions League and they may potentially not be in the Champions League next season.
0: Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that a bit later uh, in terms of the the race for the top five maybe this year rather than the traditional top four uh, with Manchester City currently banned from next year's Champions League, albeit with an appeal that will be going to a, a court quite soon. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but yeah. Wait, uh,
1: but before we move on from City, I want, I want to give one shout out though. I'm going to give Adams stamp of approval for the week to Mr. Phil Foden, three goals in two games for Manchester City, surrounded by all-stars around him, but it's the youth player that's come in um, and looked fantastic since the restart. I'd say probably, uh, well, definitely uh, he'd been a starting midfield in terms of players since the restart. So Phil Foden, tip my hat to you, my friend. Three goals in two games and contributing a lot as well, and really he's only played for maybe one and a quarter of those two games as well and scored in both, so
0: well done. Well, he scored two against Burnley, um, so yeah, I his first goal particularly nice, a, a very nice uh, kind of like composed uh, bottom quarter finish that I think looked a bit easier than it was, and the second goal quite nice as well, kind of keeping a cool head and, and slotting it away after a miskick kick from Gabriel Jesus, but yeah, Foden continues to prove himself as uh, a talent for England uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely, great player. Mm-hmm. Great player indeed. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about here... Um, is uh, we'll go from Manchester City, a team kind of cooking with gas at the moment, to Arsenal, a team that is going nowhere else but completely backwards at the moment. Uh, So we mentioned beaten by City 3-0 in that first game uh, coming back from the break. And then on the weekend, a last-minute collapse away at Brighton, uh, getting scored on and, and losing in essentially the last kick of the game by Neil Mopay. Uh, what is going on with arsenal right now adam
1: i i'm not sure to be honest i mean we're singing their praises going into the into the break and Mikel arteta was looking like you know one of the uh, contenders for kind of latter half of the manager of the season right um and arsenal since they've come back have just really not been at the races um to be fair i think you know Aside from the last-minute collapse, there were times when they looked a bit a bit dangerous, but they weren't the Arsenal of before the break. I'll, I'll certainly say that
0: looked a bit dangerous, but against Brighton, you you should be looking a bit dangerous. Uh when when you know when when you're on the ball uh and i think that yeah losing that match unable to have that final product uh, you saw a lot of good combination play particularly between um Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and his strike partner Alexander Lacazette i thought that Lacazette was playing a very unselfish game had that backheel pass that um Aubameyang almost converted to a goal if not for a sliding challenge by uh Louis Dunk but yeah, it just seems like Arsenal is somewhat out of sorts at the moment. Tenth place in the table, and it seems as though a bit of a lack of conformity throughout the squad.
1: Yeah, I, I will. I will add one thing though. I feel for as good as uh, for as bad as Arsenal have been, I think Brighton have been fantastic since the restart. Like Brighton were right down there, Zach. They were in trouble, looking like they were in free fall, getting clawed back into the relegation dogfight. And I feel like they've pulled away a little bit now from the teams below them. Four points from six, two tough games, home to Arsenal with a win, and then a point away at Leicester, keeping them to a clean sheet. I mean, for Graham Potter, you know I'm a fan. That's that's fantastic. Two really, really great results. And as, as bad as Arsenal was, as I said, I feel um, equally as impressed with with Brighton and how how they've played since they've come back
0: certainly i think that uh, their four points uh puts our four points to shame uh, in terms of just impressive results based on yeah who, who they who they had to play uh and i think that's what you know that's what almost always stands out in a relegation fight is you you can see the teams who are up for the fight and then you can see the teams who are not and i think Brighton is up for the fight, credit to Graham Potter, he's gotten his team together, and then you look at a team like West Ham that is completely completely out and exposed it seems as though there's no fight there's no real desire to stay in the league, maybe it's a bit of a too big to fail mentality, but absolutely, credit to Brighton for what they have done in the two matches since coming back from the break.
1: Yeah, absolutely so for Arsenal low pivoting back to your original question, I don't really know what's going on there I'm not really sure. Um, I think honestly, I think what you have to do with Arsenal this season is just write it off to experience. They're not gonna get into Europe this season. I think it's gonna be the first time and I don't even know how many years that Arsenal don't qualify for a major European competition. It's been the Europa League for a few years now, but they're not gonna get into either one this year. Um and it's and that's very sad and disappointing to see. But they're a team, as we've mentioned many times, Zach, that are in rebuilding mode right now. And I think that they're gonna heavily back Mikel Arteta. In the summer assuming COVID doesn't play a part in that
0: mm. yeah that's true I, I I suppose that's kind of looking on the bright side for Arsenal I I mean I think that ending the season with like the the idea that two, both of the North London clubs uh, Arsenal and Tottenham could both end the season like eight like eighth and below would be a, a pretty wild thing to say at the beginning of the, of the year but kind of a I guess a rebuilding year for both teams in a way. Um, And yeah, I I think that uh, although in terms of rebuilding something that you and I were talking about a few days ago, when we were writing up the outline for this podcast was uh, following that match uh, against um, Manchester city, we were saying David Luiz must be done right. David Luiz had one of the worst matches I've ever seen a center back have against Manchester city. He uh, was Completely at fault for for City's first goal, uh, kind of fluffing his lines and and just seeming somewhat unaware of where he was on the field, and then uh, later in the match, letting Raheem Sterling get around him and tearing him down for a penalty and a red card to boot. Um, and yet <laughs> and yet David Luiz continues to steal a career in the Premier League with a one-year contract extension announced just today. So I need to eat my heart out, I suppose, Adam. I I, I couldn't believe it. I, I don't know
1: if you, I don't know if you heard this part, but he actually his agent demanded a new deal the night of the red card. That's basically unbelievable. <laughs> It's not, isn't that crazy? And I'll, I'll, I'll also add that he is still to this day one of the top ten most expensive defenders in the history of football. Mm. David Luiz
0: Had it, stealing that... a career, stealing a career, stealing a career. I want to correct myself. Actually, it was Riyad Mahrez he tore down for the penalty. So I want to give Riyad credit for the great move and turn he made on David Luiz, friend of the pod. Riyad Mahrez, friend of the pod, indeed. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like like hats off to his agent. His agent must be an absolute Is it is it Mino Raiola? I don't know, I'm not sure. Sorry. Okay. Well, either way, David Luiz will be um at, he will be at the Emirates Stadium next season despite just having disaster after disaster match in, in the last few matches for for Arsenal. It's like, it's like the saying goes, I feel like they just sold a watch to a blind man. It's <laughs> a I like that a lot. Right? <laughs> I haven't heard that before. I like that a lot. But <laughs> David, David Luiz always always having a flair for the dramatic. So at least we'll be able to be entertained by him next season in the Prem.
1: You touched on uh, Spurs there a few minutes ago, though. One thing I was thinking about and I was drawing comparisons on is when we went into the COVID break, Arsenal were very much in the ascendancy, right? It felt like they were on the up. Arteta was getting a lot of praise. Aubameyang was starting to play well underneath him. He came back from the suspension. Spurs were in big trouble. All the injuries, they had Harry Kane out, Lloris was still out. They had um, a lot of major players out and now it's flipped, right? So they've had 3 months to get people healthy. They've had 3 months to come back in. If you're going to put money on anybody to break into that top 6, top 5, it would be Spurs, certainly not Arsenal right now, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Spurs with a, you know, a, a... A solid 1-1 draw in their first match back at playing Manchester United, who, yeah, you know, what was really heating up going into the break, um, and had a big win today over Sheffield United, uh, and then and then a draw for, or sorry, a 2-0 win for Spurs over West Ham. So mm-hmm. I, I agree, they're they're getting the points they need to get. I mean, I think that from from what I've read, their dressing room is not the is not the most calm place in the world right now, with the, uh reports of rows between. Uh, Jose Mourinho, big big surprise there, and a number of the different players, namely Ndombele, who said in an interview yesterday that he, um, you know, is considering never playing for Jose Mourinho again. But I, I think that you know results are shown on the field, and if he can get them into the top six and at very least a Europa League spot, that would be a you know a solid season for Spurs. Yeah, relative success from where he came in um, and inherited the team, you know, um,
1: earlier on this year. So um, I think spurs certainly would be dark horses now for a champions league spot but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later on
0: all right so on from uh, the tale of two cities between manchester city and arsenal to the tale of the phantom at villa park so referring to last weekend's fixture between aston villa and sheffield united the goal that wasn't for sheffield united if you haven't seen it A bit of a scramble. The ball went over the line before being caught and pushed out by the Villa keeper. A clear, clear crossing of the goal line. And from what I read, something blocked the goal line technology from reading that it had crossed the line. And the referee, the head ref, got no alert on his watch and so ruled it no goal. And for some reason, VAR decides not to step in. And Sheffield United has to settle for a nil-nil draw. I I just, I could not believe what I was watching when I saw that happen.
1: Yeah, it's not. So the technology that um, basically gives the award of the goal or not is not VAR per se. It's called Hawkeye. Uh, They use it in tennis tournaments a lot as well. So when I've been watching Wimbledon, US Open, stuff like that, they actually use Hawkeye technology to tell whether a ball lands in or not when when they're doing replays for that and challenges. Um, so it's it's the same sort of technology, but to your point, something weird happened on that one because it was clearly behind the line. And to your point, maybe there's a rule in there that I don't know about. Are they not able to challenge Hawkeye discrepancies? Like why why wouldn't you go to
0: VAR and look
1: at it? I don't because know. In the replays, it was clear.
0: I don't I don't think anybody knows the rule. I I mean, it was reminiscent of what was it the 2010 World Cup goal scored by Steven Gerrard, the goal that wasn't um with the ball going off the crossbar and in um and then bouncing out of the goal and it clearly being a goal but nobody i suppose seeing it uh but yeah it's like it it continues it's another plunge into the you know the depths of anger uh, as to what VAR is doing to the English game right now because it's like if VAR is brought in to make sure everything is happening as it should and then the most clear goal you could possibly see occurs and somehow nobody gets it, like wh- what is happening?
1: Yeah, it's it's there to take away the injustice and it's not done that in this instance and on several occasions this season. so disappointing another notch against uh, another knock I should say against VAR this season. Um, it's not going away. I don't think that that will happen at all. Uh, but hopefully they'll make some improvements in terms of how it's how it's used. It is still the first season, so let's try and give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe on the fact that it it can only really
0: improve. I would hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we will see. So a nil nil draw in Birmingham between Villa and Sheffield United, and then later in the weekend in the Merseyside derby that always has you know flashes of drama and and late game winners by Di Vaaricci. None of either of those two this weekend. A scoreless. Draw. It was the third time uh, that Liverpool has dropped points this season. The second draw that they've had this season, uh, and yeah, I mean, not not much report on there. it's Just derbies are always worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, I think a few, a few things of note for the derby for me. Um, Pickford for me was probably man of the match. Um, I thought he had a really good game. Yeah, hate, hate to hear um, it. Yeah, hate to hear it. Yeah. You, you do right. You know, he's only got little arms, but Pickford, yeah, fair, fair play. Credit where credits due. I thought he had a really good game. Um, you, you mentioned it already. Only the third team to take points off Liverpool of this season. Everton will be stoked that that is them. Um, a, a great point for them. And then uh, I don't know if you saw the chance late on in the game where Tom Davis hit the hit the post. Mm-hmm. Did you see that one? Um, Calvert Lewin's flick that almost scored on Allison. Oh, you know I'm a big fan. That was filthy. That yeah. little kind of. Behind his back, little flick where he he almost put that in the bottom right hand corner, and then Davis should have scored. To be honest, yeah.
0: If if only Dominic Calvert Lewin had declared for the Welsh national team, it's a huge shame to both of our our fandoms. It's fine. We can we can still buy him. Um, he can still come play for Newcastle after the sale goes through. That's true. Yeah, he can be our fourth choice striker after after yeah. Kareem Benzema and Pierre-Emerick Egg And take and, the number nine off Joe Linton and Holland. give it to Dominic. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but a, a Merseyside derby. I agree. Uh, credit to Everton taking the points off the uh, the champions elect in liverpool so uh as as we mentioned uh kind of you know things going in the direction that we expected them to with liverpool continuing to get closer and closer to their uh championship trophy that they will raise quite soon um so i guess do you want to go to the other side of the table here adam talk about you know the relegation battle that we're looking at as it has become quite interesting in the last week or so Yeah, sure. Let's do
1: it. So um, just to kind of recap, Norwich rooted to the bottom still um, on 21 points. They lost today at home against Everton. Villa picked up a point today um, at Newcastle. So they're up to 27 points now. Bournemouth have lost two games since coming back, still stuck on 27. And then West Ham and Watford are um, on 27 and 28 points respectively. So getting really tight down there at the bottom. Um who would you be your picks be right now other than Norwich for the remaining two relegation spots at this point in the season?
0: That's a good question. So I think before the restart I would have said that the bottom 3 of Norwich Villa and Bournemouth would be the bottom three to end the season, but I'm going to change that prediction. I, I obviously Norwich is going down. Sorry about that, Chris. Um, we will also, in my opinion, see Bournemouth going down. I think that Bournemouth has completely lost the plot as a club and really has no sort of um, kind of idea of how how to get out of this. And they also have a terrible, terrible remaining seven fixtures uh, for. the the remainder of this year. But I think Aston Villa survives. I I think that, you know, from watching them today, from watching them in their first match since the restart uh, against Chelsea, I I think that Villa, you know, they're hungry. They're kind of showing that same level of desire that Brighton has showed of, you know, understanding what the fight is. And I think that Villa has that chip on their shoulder of being a newly promoted club. So I'm going to say that Villa gets out and I think West Ham too big to fail and they will fail I think West Ham goes down as well
1: yeah interesting I um, I agree with you on a couple points there I still think the Bournemouth will pull this out of their hat I think Villa probably of the remaining teams has the most difficult remaining schedule um, I think that Villa and West Ham will be the other two teams that go
0: down I think Bournemouth will somehow pull something out okay so we, we both think we both think the the London Stadium will be a championship arena next season. Which is crazy to think about, right? Sixty thousand people fitting in for a, for a match for a match hosting eighteenth place Sheffield Wednesday.
1: You let Manuel Pellegrini go, and you bring David Moyes in. And you think that's going to save you? That was a really poor decision. I mean, look, halfway through the season, Everton, the manager they got versus the manager that West Ham got.
0: Yeah, this is a stark Just stark difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, so we both think Watford will survive, though.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you know Watford have shown enough, and um, I think that they ha- they have enough talent in that team and uh, a great manager Nigel Pearson to-, to pull enough points out of the hat to stay up.
0: Okay, all right. Well, we'll see what happens in the remaining seven fixtures. Watford does have a game in hand, so um, you know. We'll- Still the only team to be the champions elect. Liverpool. That's, that is true. Yeah, that would be wild if mm-hmm. it ended that way and they went down. Um, uh, but going to the top of the table now, so obviously we're not going to talk about the title race as there is no title race but the race rather for not just fourth but also fifth so as I said before Manchester City currently facing a ban from the Champions League uh, due to uh, unethical dealings both financial and uh, kind of more I I guess you could say like eco-political dealings but um, if that If that ban is upheld and they are going into an appeals court quite soon, 5th place will get a Champions League spot. So right now, going 4th to 7th, we have Chelsea in 4th place on 51 points, Manchester United in 5th on 49, and then Wolves on 49 and Spurs on 45. So six points separating those four clubs. I would say all four of them with a shot to make it into the Champions League if fifth place, we assume, is available for a Champions League qualification.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think what's really interesting here is the remaining fixtures. Specifically, I would say right right now, the, the teams that are there and they're about to be Chelsea, Manchester United, and Wolves. Chelsea's remaining fixtures, they're, they're home to Man City tomorrow, obviously going to be a tough game. Um Remaining fixtures, just ones that stand out for me. Uh, They have Sheffield United away, they have Liverpool away, and they have Wolves at home on the last day of the season. Um, But most interesting from a fixture standpoint is Manchester United's remaining fixtures. They have Brighton away, Bournemouth at home, Villa away, Southampton at home, Palace away, West Ham at home, and then they have Leicester on the last day of the season. Manchester United could potentially win out for this season um they're playing well picked up a point at Spurs a good point at Spurs having been behind um and then obviously a pretty comfortable 3-0 home and we also beat Sheffield United 3-0 so it's not that big a deal but well done Martial for the hat trick today um good stuff uh but you know there's 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 plenty of points on the table left for Manchester United I could see Manchester United breaking into the top four very very easily with the difficulty of Chelsea's remaining fixtures
0: I think that's a really good point, and I think that it's an interesting thing from a coach's perspective right now because you know at, at the moment, if the season ended today and no appeals court ran, Manchester United would be in the Champions League, but you can't be playing for that. Obviously, you have to no. be playing for fourth and. I think that Chelsea has proven that they belong at the top of the table. Um, I think that Lampard has done a fantastic job, and they've had a lot of emerging young players. And Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, and a number of other ones. Bakayoko, I think, has played quite well. But I, I think it's interesting. I think the Wolves are an incredibly well-managed team. They all play for Nuno Espirito Santo. Cannot say the same about Tottenham. They're not necessarily all playing <laughs> Jose Mourinho but I do think it'll be a fascinating end to the season and it'll kind of provide us with that you know that entertainment and that that kind of heart-pumping drama that maybe the champion or the uh, title race obviously will not be late in the season
1: yeah it's a great point I think if so if Chelsea lose tomorrow at home to Manchester City which is entirely possible um, they would be two points ahead of Manchester United and Wolves um, and played the same number of games so just really makes for a very interesting and fun to watch end to the season in the, as the race for champions league spaces, places going on. So
0: yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would love to see wolves in the champions. Like I think that they could, they could make an Ajax like run in the champions league. Not, not because they're anything similar as clubs uh, for they are not. And Wolverhampton Wanderers are not known for their, uh, you know, famous Academy products necessarily. But I think that they have that kind of, you know, talent across the pitch and, and belief that that could, could show in a dark horse campaign so I would love for them to well here's, the a, here's
1: another interesting thought Zach um, Those two of those three teams Wolves and Manchester United are still active in the Europa League so if they were to win the Europa League then technically they if they didn't qualify they would actually still get into the Champions League
0: or no, more so the opposite. If they won the Europa League and then finished in fourth or fifth, and then Manchester City's ban gets held up, sixth place gets Champions League.
1: <laughs> I don't know that that is an actual fact in terms of how that would be passed on to the to the teams below. Oh, them, no, but, no, no, um...
0: it would be because because that's the way it works. Is that the winner of Europa gets Champions League, right? Top four gets yep. Champions League, but then if Manchester City's ban is upheld they will finish in the top four so fifth would get champions league so if let's say if let's say manchester united wins the europa league and manchester city's ban gets upheld then sixth place would get champions league so what you're saying zach is if newcastle went out we're in the champions league exactly that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> oh man Fantastic. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Newcastle will be will be playing will be playing Bayern Munich in six months time. <laughs> hey, we'll still be in the Premier League, which I will absolutely take so. t- take that uh, without a doubt. So to to kind of look forward to the remainder of the season, then uh, Newcastle's kind of wrap up. We have seven matches left for the tune. We're currently uh, sitting fairly comfortably in a mid-table spot, but as we mentioned before, you know positive results since the restart and. We're now just one point back of 10th place Arsenal. Arsenal does have a game in hand, so got to take that into account. But I'll ask you, Adam, you know, with this kind of resurgence of quality that we've seen and I think an uptick in confidence as well, how high do you think Newcastle can finish?
1: Realistically if we were to win the games that I think are winnable games. Well, so so, so we... let's
0: let's go into those remaining matches then, because that's something sure. I wanted to talk about. So, so do, do you have those fixtures pulled up?
1: I, I have the fixtures pulled up. So um, the next league game we have is on July 1st, is away at Bournemouth. We then play home to West Ham, away at City. Lucky us, we have them twice, at least before the season finishes. Um, we have away at Watford, Home to Spurs, away at Brighton, home to Liverpool. So, I mean, let's kind of ru- rule out the City and Liverpool games right there, probably. Um, anything else? I think we could potentially take points from.
0: Mm-hmm. So, 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 so of a of a remaining twenty one possible points, how, how many would you project that we we end the season with?
1: From those twenty one available points, I don't think we get double figures. Um,
0: Interesting. Okay. uh,
1: I think a lot of those are away games against teams that are down there and fighting for their lives Um, away at Bournemouth away at Watford Brighton penultimate game of the season. We'll probably Brighton will probably be safe by then. um, I think Um, home against Spurs home against Liverpool. I think we'll be up for that game. I think right now we're on 39 points. We certainly don't hit fifty. I'd say we may be finish with about 45, 46 points.
0: Okay. I see. I, I predict. I predict that we hit exactly fifty. I, I think that we hmm. take eleven from a possible twenty-one. The reason for that largely being home and away does not matter. In my mind, there's no there's yeah. there's there's no there's no home support that will drive a team on right now. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. Um, I think that. From Bournemouth, West Ham, Watford, and Brighton, the winnable matches. I think we beat Bournemouth, we beat West Ham, and we draw the other two. Wow! So Do you I, think
1: we win our next two league games? So like, I, I, away at Bournemouth and home to West Ham.
0: Absolutely, I think those are the two teams that are, besides Norwich City, and the biggest tailspin at the moment. Uh, West Ham, are
1: but everybody's gonna be desperate for points at. It. But, desperate for we saw that
0: against Villa today. But you've still seen both those clubs lose their games since, like since since the like I don't think you can. It's only getting more I, desperate though. But 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 I don't think you can take one club playing up to that pressure and then like. Apply that same performance level to all the other clubs. I, I think that West Ham and Bournemouth have not looked up for it so far in the two matches since the restart. So I think we beat both of those. I think we draw the other two clubs. And then I think we can get one draw from the three matches against City, Spurs, and Liverpool. I'm giving us 10, 11 of 21.
1: Well, I, I'll say this right now, and, and, and you've got me on record as saying, is it I would, I would happily give up a loss against Bournemouth if it meant they survived? Oh,
0: I. That's that's fickle. That is fickle. It's not fickle at all. I, I'd love to see the cherry survive. I have literally zero interest in seeing Bournemouth remain in the Premier League. I would love to see them and West Ham both go down. That's fine. I I just Bournemouth is probably Bournemouth is one of the one of the top three teams that I care least about in the Premier League. I could not be more nice. indifferent about what happens with them. I, I would love is, to hey harsh. hey I would love to see us beat Leicester on the final day to send them down because i'm I'm a real newcastle united fan okay that's it you're absolutely right yeah you you can have your moment in the spotlight for now if you like thank you uh but anyway so i I think though like i think we'll probably end the season somewhere between 11th and 13th in the table i think
1: the highest we could finish right now in my opinion would be in ninth position Mm. catching palace palace looked crap today Um, they were playing away at Liverpool granted, but, um, they're on 42 points right now. Um, I don't think we'll catch Sheffield United and the teams above them. Um, but I think, I think realistically we finish bottom half 12th, 13th, I think would be, I'd be absolutely happy with that. Yeah, that'd
0: be fine. I, I think 11th and we jump Burnley and Palace. I think those are the two teams above us that would fall. Um, below us as neither neither of those two clubs is like terribly impressive since the restart uh, but right. uh, um yeah so i think the newcastle season again we're, we're pretty much safe might as well make it might as well make it official sometime soon
1: yeah exactly play some play some youngsters bring bring some youngsters and see if we can uh try out a few people for for next season assuming the sale doesn't go through um before 2021
0: exactly uh so you know, from from a middling thirteenth uh, place club at Newcastle to the the champions elect in Liverpool, um, as we said, it, the the trophy is there. There's it's more of a question of when rather than if. So uh, the situations that we we are now facing here and kind of the different ways that this could happen. Um, you know, when will Liverpool lift the trophy? So currently, a game uh, are, are, Manchester City has a game in hand, uh, but are 23 points back of Liverpool. So City plays Chelsea uh, on Thursday afternoon. Uh, And so based on that point differential, if City drops any points, if they draw or if they lose at Chelsea, the title is Liverpool's. So it will be official as of then. But what's more interesting and more entertaining, I think, is that if City beats Chelsea, then Liverpool will go away to Manchester City next week, and a draw or a win at the Etihad gives them the trophy. And so I'll ask you this, Adam: with with no fans being at matches, with home matches not holding the kind of you know uh, the the uh, the drama and the energy that they once did, would you say that in this situation the best possible thing that could happen for Liverpool is that they win the trophy away at Manchester City. I mean, I've never
1: been a fan of titles being won when the teams winning the titles are not playing in an actual game at the time. So Certainly. like Yeah, it would be so anticlimactic. They they haven't won the Premier League ever. Um, and it's been so long since Liverpool has won the top division to have it be that anticlimactic that it happens when City dropped points at Chelsea would would to me be kind of disappointing for, for Liverpool fans. How poetic would it be? How awesome would it be for Liverpool fans to go to the current champions, to take points off them in Manchester, and then to walk out of there as the champions of England I think that would be just a, a beautiful way to end Liverpool's long wait for, for a top division title.
0: Could not agree more. I think that yeah with, with the current situation at hand that would almost be more gratifying in a way than, than winning it at home against let's say a, a Bournemouth or, or a West Ham is beating you know beating the team that uh, that is holding the trophy currently in emphatic fashion at their own stadium. So I, I think that would be a quite gratifying way for it to happen
1: and I will put money on it if that ends up being something that happens. I guarantee you that there will be Liverpool fans that will make the journey down to Manchester and there will be trouble in England <laughs> if Liverpool win the championship in in Manchester that night. I think there will be there will be fights, there will be some sort of drama that happens if that ends up being the story.
0: Yeah, I think that you know that's that's a fair point. You're you're the one from the area, so I'll I'll trust your expertise. On Football hooligans,
1: they're 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 still out there, Zach. They're they're
0: well hidden these days, but they're still there. Yeah, they they still exist in the shadows and whatnot. Um, and so, with you know Liverpool potentially winning the title with what would be uh, either seven or six games in hand, uh, the discussion has been going on all season. I think since uh, their really impressive undefeated streak to begin the year is you know our. Are, are Liverpool potentially the all time greatest Premier League team? You know, are we currently are we watching the, the greatest Premier League season that's ever happened by a single club? And I, I'd like to get your opinion on this because I, I think there is quite significant disagreement as there will always be with that kind of historical debate. It's a good question. Um, for me
1: personally, and I remember this really well, I was living in the UK at the time, Arsenal's Invincibles. Um, although they didn't quite look as dominant as liverpool in the way that they won the premier league i think arsenal's invincibles for me will go down in history in the 38 game season not having lost a game as as the best premier league side and the best premier league season that i have personally seen it's hard to make an argument that liverpool have not been massively impressive and have been dominant in many many ways Um, But they were going through a little bit of a rocky spell before COVID happened, Um, and we were starting to doubt them a little bit in terms of their um, clout as being able to call themselves one of the best and the greatest of all time. They lost to Watford. I don't think that any team that wants to consider themselves the best Premier League season of all time could actually lose a game against Watford in
0: that same season. So I, I respect what you're saying, Adam. I respect it because I, I do, you know, I'm one for that kind of storybook narrative of the undefeated season and whatnot. You know, the, uh, looking back, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, you know, some of the, some of the greatest players to ever grace the, the Premier League fields that being said i'm i'm this is my my zach's hot take of the day i don't think that arsenal's 2003-2004 season even right now is the greatest season of all time because i think that manchester i think that manchester city the 2017-2018 season where they set every single record for a premier league season is well above that undefeated season so Adam, let me, let me read out to you a list of records that Manchester City set in that 2017-2018 season. They set the record for most points with 100. They set the record for most away points with 50. The biggest win margin to second with 19 points separating them and the second-place club. They had the most wins. They had the most away wins. They had the most goals scored. They had the biggest goal differential in Premier League history, and they had the most consecutive wins. And so... First off, I don't think that Arsenal's undefeated season is even the current holder of the all time greatest Premier League season. Now, I think that what, what I looked at here, and I, I hope you're proud of me because I really crunched the numbers for you, Adam, because I know you, you love your stats. Is I looked I'm at my language now, Zach. I I looked at. The the point totals in these different categories that I just listed for City, I looked at the the totals that Liverpool currently has, and based on the amount of matches played, the pace that they're on for all those different categories. And so, first of all, I'll open this by saying I think that Liverpool, if they keep the pace up, will have the greatest season in Premier League history because they will break four of those records that I just listed for Manchester City. Liverpool is on pace for the most points ever. They're on pace for 105 points. So, you know, five more points than City had. And if they win out in all seven of the remaining matches, they'll end on 107 points. They are currently on pace for the largest winning margin of 24 points between them and Manchester City, who will end in second. They're on pace for the most wins in Premier League history, with 34 going against City's 32. And then finally, Liverpool shattered the record for most consecutive wins, starting this season before that Watford lost with 27 consecutive victories. So I think that ultimately, the only stat that really matters in determining what's the greatest Premier League season of all time is points. I think that points does everything you need it to do in terms of determining what team is the greatest team ever, and Liverpool will most likely destroy the record for most points in a Premier League season, with the potential of having essentially two games worth of points more than Manchester City set two seasons ago.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to say that, to your, to your point, you've, you've made some great salient points. Liverpool could potentially lose next week at Manchester City, and they would double the amount of losses that they had last season in a season which they did not win. Yeah, the uh, English Premier League. The point being? My point being, and you'd still say that that would be the greatest Premier League season of all time purely because of
0: points. Well, why? I, I'm confused. Why would why would that discount it?
1: I, I I look at it differently. I look I look at just the the invincibles of Arsenal. The fact that sure they didn't they didn't get as many points. they didn't break as many records. But that was a team that did not lose in an entire season. <sighs> Everybody tried twice. Nobody could beat them. I I mean I've already beaten Liverpool. I, um the consistency sure but lack of being able to be beaten i think arsenal for me still still takes the cake there um so, so, and
0: a, a time right so no i mean so so like that's fair but maybe it's just a different an opinion of what is great because i view consistency as the top the top standard of excellence and Arsenal drew 12 matches that season. There are 12 matches where Arsenal... I understand they never lost, but there are 12 matches where Arsenal could not figure out a way to win the match. So if, if, if you're talking about... But
1: they also avoided losing the match. So it but... depends on your perspective, right? So Liverpool drew seven matches last season, and they, only lo- and they only lost one, and they didn't win the league. Arsenal found a way to avoid defeats take points where they look like they might have lost the games and they have won a whole season without doing it. For me, I I
0: don't know if another team will ever do that in the Premier League. I okay, Fa- fair enough. I just don't think it matters. I think that Liverpool this year has been far and away the greatest club of all time and I think that be, like dropping points whether it's a loss or a draw in 3 matches versus 12 matches is just it, it's not even a question as to what is more impressive to me. Because if if the idea is that when you're the first when you're when you're the club that is winning the Premier League season dropping points is a deathly sin then you you would say Arsenal dropped points 12 times that season and Liverpool has dropped points three times that season and I just think that the comparison is I I just don't think there is a comparison
1: yep I I think we just have to agree to disagree on this one it's what it's what's it's what's important to you and it's what you you find value and you find um and find impressive, I guess. Um, to, to me, I, I don't think I'll ever see another team go undefeated throughout an entire season in the Premier League, as good as they are. Um, and it hasn't happened since, so that's that's where I would put my stock.
0: There it is. That's that's fair. That is fair. That's why that's why we have a podcast is so we can disagree with each other we're not here to agree all the time exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, lovely um but either way you know liverpool with a a a season for the history books and will be most likely locking up that title within seven to eight days of us speaking right now Uh,
1: i want to make it absolutely clear that liverpool have been massively impressive and continue to be this season and they are a phenomenal team i'm not trying to take away from that or their achievement whatsoever um they're 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 a wonderful team and i think they'll be a wonderful team for many many years to come especially if they can keep um, their manager around for for several seasons
0: absolutely yeah they, they oh god they're so good i <laughs> i hate how much it's how much i love watching liverpool play <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Well, so, so scoping it out from England. One other thing that will be returning soon. Um, that's I, I think kind of going a bit under the radar uh, just with everything that's going on is, is the champions league is coming back. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and even sooner than that, as you pointed out right before we started recording is the Europa league, which I forgot existed during COVID.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the Europa league is coming back um, at the beginning of August uh, we have some games that were first legs were played um, that we have to kind of see the second leg played for those. Interestingly, there were let's see five, yeah, six of six of those that played a first leg, and then there's two games actually where the first leg wasn't played yet, so they're going to play one-offs for those remaining games. We'll head into the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final will be on August the 21st. And then venues will all be in germany that they'll be playing these games in four different stadiums cologne duisburg dusseldorf and gelsenkirchen i uh, don't know where the final will be yet but we still have manchester united um, rangers are in it too although they lost their first leg against Bayern Leverkusen 3-1 and then wolves of course are still in the um, europa league as well so it is the second tier tournament uh, in terms of european football but there's some great teams left in it olympiacos Bayern Leverkusen, Shakhtar Donetsk, Eintracht Frankfurt, who were in the final last year, um, Sevilla, Roma, Inter Milan. There's some good teams left in it, Zach, and I'm excited to see how it goes. I'd love to see a an English team win it again.
0: Yeah, that would be exciting. What if we see an an all English final of the Europa League for the second year in a row? That would be that would be something else, wouldn't it? Um, yep, be amazing. Yeah, um,
1: I, I, it's unlikely that we will see an all English Champions League final. Well, say that.
0: No, that's a good point. So, you know, winding the clock all the way back to March, it feels like years ago, Manchester City leads 2-1 in their uh, round of 16 leg against... Real Madrid and Real Madrid will also be without Sergio Ramos in that second leg which will happen on August 7th and August 8th uh, as he got a red card in that match and then Chelsea the only other English team remaining uh, lost 3-0 in their first leg against Bayern Munich so a bit of an uphill climb although we, we know from history that Chelsea loves playing Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. Uh, so we'll see what happens but anyway, to to kind of run through the the Champions League schedule uh, August 12th to 15th we'll have the quarterfinals and then August 18th to 19th we'll have the semifinals those will both be hosted in Lisbon Uh, and it's important to note that unlike uh, traditional format where those are two-legged fixtures both the quarters and the semifinals will be a single game so single-legged fixtures and then just Five days later, August 23rd, again in Lisbon, the final. So we're going to see the quarter, semi, and final of the Champions League in about a two-week period, which is wild to think of. And what's amazing
1: also about that is it literally is aligned with the Europa League. So we get Europa League fixtures, Champions League fixtures, Europa League fixtures, Champions League fixtures. So we're going to get basically three weeks of continuous um, European football at
0: the highest level that's going to be so much fun to watch it's dynamite yeah i'm I'm quite excited so we'll we'll see the quarterfinal and semifinal draws uh on july 10th actually so the rest of the bracket will be lined up on july 10th we'll know you know what routes could be taken to get to the champions league final but yeah it'll be it'll be good to see european football back
1: yep absolutely well uh do you want to take a quick commercial break
0: before we head into our pillar segment of 10 and 90 yeah, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will wrap it up with 10 and 90. All right, we are back with the final section of the 46th episode of The False Nines. 10 and 90, of course. Adam, first or second today, what are you feeling?
1: Mm, I think I'll go first today. All right. I'm, I'm going to lead, I'm gonna lead like it that's unlike you. Okay, I like you.
0: I've
1: got a... I've got a... I've got a theme for you today, and it's it's pretty topical because we played them today. My my theme today, for you, Zach, is Aston Villa Football Club.
0: Oh God, I don't, mm, I don't like that at all. But all right, let's get after it. There's
1: some there's some ones in here that I think you might you might have a shot at. So let's 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 give it a go. Uh, so, in what in what year were Aston Villa founded? And I'll give you 10 years either way.
0: Ooh, okay, uh, 1883
1: scraping in there nine years away so they were founded one of the oldest teams in England 1874 Villa were founded so nine years good good job one for one so far all right what and when was Villa's most recent trophy
0: what and when oh god that's a vague one
1: not counting the (sighs) Intertoto Cup which they have won
0: as Newcastle have Ah man lucky (laughs) um (laughs) They won the Premier League in the 80s. Or they won, the I guess, the first division in the 80s. Was that their last trophy? They did. Um, no, they had, that is not their most recent one.
1: I'll give you five years either way for their most recent trophy. All
0: right, let's go FA Cup 2002.
1: Pretty close. You're six years away, not five years away. Ninety six, they won the League Cup. Um, they wow. beat Leeds 3-0 with uh, a gentleman called Dwight York among the goals. Also a yeah. striker called Savo Milosevic, if you've heard of him.
0: Oh, okay. All right, all right. Some Great Eastern European
1: spice with that one. Yep. Uh, all right, question number three. Which team do Villa have a rivalry with, which is
0: also known as the Second City Derby? Oh, my God. You insult me with that question. Birmingham City. <laughs> Birmingham City is the correct oh, answer. God. It's as if I've never watched Premier League or Peaky Blinders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll actually... Um, see if see if you can get this one. as a bonus question for you 127 second city derbies villa have got the better of them but how many have villa won of those 127
0: 127 what are you giving me on either side i'll give you 10 either way okay 127 let's say villa has won sixty eight. Oh, 57. fifty-seven. You're eleven away. <laughs>
1: Let's go, <laughs> man. I'm doing well today. <laughs> no, you didn't get that one. You were ten. O- you said ten away, ten either way. You're eleven away. 57 oh, it's fifty-seven. Drats. So close. You're six away, and it was a it was a five either way for the last one. So, all right, this is a crazy, crazy statistic. No, Villa like hold the record for number of goals scored in a top flight season. In the 1930-1931 season, how many goals did Villa score in that
0: season? How many games were played in that season? I don't know the answer to that one. I I didn't have that statistic. That that would have been a really helpful statistic for you to have. (laughs) Uh, Let's say 129. Holy shit. 128 (laughs) let's go today is my day
1: for 10 and 90 it is your day for 10 and 90 what what I love about this statistic is Arsenal in that same season scored 127 and won the league by a
0: point Villa scored 128 goals in a season and didn't win the league that's That's amazing amazing oh that is a great statistic
1: love it all right, number five. Last question, then I'll, I'll throw in a bonus Welsh question for you. How Not many nice. top-flight domestic titles have Aston Villa 1?
2: Hmm.
1: Go with... Go with six? Good guess. Um, seven. Okay. Five of them were prior to 1900. Um, wow. Most recent was in 1981. Um yeah that one is notable because they won the league in 1981 qualified for the what was then the european cup now champions league and they actually won the champions league that season in 1982 one of only five english teams to have won the european cup or champions league who are the other four teams at
0: chelsea liverpool how many four you said five
1: five total so villa Chelsea, Chelsea, Liverpool, Liverpool,
0: um, Manchester one of United.
1: Them, Manchester United is the obvious one. the The fifth, well, the fifth one, I think, is a tricky one. It's not, not a team that's currently in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, have won the Champions League or the European Cup? It was the European Cup. Leeds? Nope. Blackburn?
1: No. Nope. We have one more guess, and I'll give it to you. Yeah. Blackpool. Definitely not Blackpool. <laughs> I know, I know, I no. knew it wasn't Blackpool. Uh not in, wait, 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 wait,
0: forest. Not in forest. Okay. Ah oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah,
1: I took Blackpool as your guess sorry. Yeah, that's fair.
0: <laughs> I did all guess right. that. So I've got
1: not just one word, but two Welsh words for well, you, you. Don't like that. Don't like that at that. All. Um they're shorter words though, so you got a chance here. Um both are four letter words. The first one is P I L I. Okay. And, and the second one is P A
0: L A. P I L I and P A L A? Yeah. Pilipala. Pilipala is
1: is absolutely right. Well I, done I, Zach.
0: I, I really saw no real other option there. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I
1: just... love the word though because of the translation for it. Can you guess
0: what a pilipala is? Oh it's it's something you've just given away that it exists as an object mm-hmm. it is a it's a it's a football it is not a football it's a peldroid. you've had that in 10 and 90 before
1: it's nice to see you retaining your welsh vocabulary uh, I, I try <laughs> i try my best um pili pala is um an animal i guess i would say um or an insect more more accurate it's a butterfly
0: Okay, uh, an insect is an animal, so you were right when you said both of those categories. It's it's late, it's late Zach. I'm not in my top form right now. It's true. <laughs> uh, pity. Do you know what's funny about that? Is I live on Mariposa Street, and Mariposa mm-hmm. is Spanish for butterfly. Yep.
1: And Papillon is French for butterfly. Very close to Pippi. Ah,
0: classic French stealing the Welsh Welsh words. French and Welsh are both Romance languages, my friend. Hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. This is slowly turning into a Welsh history lesson, and it's I think a, that's been your, your just long like game. every podcast we do, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly correct. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that was I, that might have been my best, most successful ten to ninety ever. Um, so impressive. we'll see. We'll see if you can get all of my uh, completely objective or subjective questions correct.
1: I will try. Just, just gonna throw out there before you
0: start. Closet villa fan, maybe is that? closet villa fan Ooh, i will not take that accusation lightly very uh,
1: successful on 10 and 90 and made the prediction that they
0: would stay up earlier in the pod just saying true that's true i'm a, I'm a closet muhammad el muhammad fan. there you go <laughs> um all right uh who scored against us today that was that was the joke um shocking but, uh, shocking keeping error for Dubrovka. That's yeah, that's was par, that's, that's part from Dubrovka. Okay, question number one in my 10 and 90. Who would win in a general skills challenge? Alan St. Maximin or Hatem Ben Arfa?
1: Oh, like right now or in their prime? <laughs> Let's go in their prime. <laughs> okay, because right now is certainly Alan St. Maximin versus the um, current version of Hatem Ben Arfa. Uh skills challenge specifically being like i have no idea To so okay. just
0: take that up to your own imagination
1: i think in their prime who is better currently Hathen Ben Benarfa. the goals okay. that he scored the defenses that he's weaved through the end products that he's had slightly better but i think that he had a lot of monkeys on his back as he kind of went through his career that he he was not able to shake off and I think that Alan Saint-Maximin will have a far more successful career than for yeah. has had.
0: Saint-Maximin is also only twenty-three, so yeah, he, he that's has my long point. Is go. like he's got a great career ahead of him? Okay, good. Uh, second question, and this is kind of another up for interpretation one: What player that has played for Newcastle that you consider somewhat under the radar would you want to have on a Newcastle kit? So, like, what I mean by that is, you know, obviously you'd say Gary Speed or, you know, like Alan Shearer. But give me a name of a player that not a lot of people might have on a kit that you you, you wouldn't mind tossing on the back of that jersey.
1: That's a good one. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Probably somebody who I really rated back in the day who um, actually lost his job this week, (laughs) got fired. Uh, as Middlesbrough manager is John Jonathan Woodgate. I thought he was one of the greatest defenders to ever wear a Newcastle jersey. Um, I think that he had a career cut short by injuries, um, and we didn't necessarily get to see too many seasons of him there at the tune. But I thought on his day he was one of the most commanding centre backs I've seen wear a Newcastle shirt.
0: Okay, all right. I like that one. Yeah. I- I've not seen a lot of Woodgate kits, if any, in my day. So that mm. is that, that fulfills the uh, requirements of my question. Uh, okay, um, what Newcastle United player would you most want to see perform a stand-up comedy set? Uh, dude, St. accident. That guy's hilarious.
1: Have you seen his Twitter? I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm his not Twitter even on amazing. Twitter, and I've seen his Twitter. So that's, that's, that's how it, funny
0: he is. That's, yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking another option would be joey barton but it would all be very like offensive and crass humor
1: <laughs> did you see the um slightly portly white dude like 13 14 years old who put out a tweet saying a lot of people mistake me for say Alza yeah yeah, oh, yeah. twitter yes, handle yeah and he and he and Saint Maximin responded and said, "I can't see any difference."
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, he is he is hilarious. I agree. Yeah, the the man knows how to just be an entertaining footballer on and off the pitch. So sure. you gotta respect that.
1: Big big crowd um, favorite for sure.
0: Absolutely. Uh, okay, question number four, um, Adam. You've been a Premier League fan for quite a while. Uh, is there any player in Premier League history that you think is stronger than Adama Traore? stronger
1: in terms of like if they got into a fight with him or stronger on the ball
0: uh, let's go on the ball let's keep it on the pitch
1: um physique and frame wise i don't think i do he's he's like a bull um if i were to put him in a fight dude roy keen would eat any current mm. premier league player alive
0: sure that's a a fair differentiating question then because Roy Keane is not physically stronger but he would be the scrappiest man in the entire world
1: he absolutely would be yeah and then and then you could potentially start thinking about like people like Suarez who are gonna like yeah go for the bite go for the bite bite people yeah so all sorts of scrappy players but Traore is a is a huge frame and he's to be fair um He's played fantastic. He's had a couple assists since the the restart as well. I thought he's been Mm -hmm. looking just as dangerous as he was before the break.
0: Yeah, his ball to Raul Jimenez and their win over the weekend was just like the perfect cross. And again today. And again today. Yeah, he did. And again today. You're right. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. Okay, final question of the day. Adam Goffin. I will ask you the same question that I asked Graham Bell in our last episode. Would you rather the Newcastle transfer drag out an entire other year from now, or would you rather go to every single Sunderland home match next season? I actually, and listen sit to in the, and I sit listen to in the, the, the home so I,
1: I know what his answer was here. Um, um I, I personally would probably go the other way around on this one. Um, I thought so. And be happy to go to a, a football game. I just want it done, Zach. I want it done. <laughs> i agree. I, I can't i can't i can't take any more of this please make a decision either way premier league if you're listening
0: i agree with that yeah i, I think that you and i might not have that that deep-seated jordy resentment for sunderland that graham has so it's not even um, resentment i can sit there and pretend to
1: watch their terrible brand of football for for a season i don't have to support them through that <laughs>
0: no not not at all um okay fair enough I, I wanted to see where your opinion was so i thought mm-hmm. that would be your answer so
1: i did i did i did listen to to the pod last last time out and uh, and heard his reply to that one so I, I i very much respect him as a as a geordie that he was so passionate in, in going the other way on that answer
0: yeah as do i as do i um all right, Adam. Well, episode 46 in the books. Um, we will have a, a special episode coming out in just a couple days. So, um, this is against the grain as to how we usually operate in our bi weekly footballing discussion. But with the Manchester City match uh, coming up on Sunday, uh, Adam and I are delighted to be speaking tomorrow night with Saul Garcia, who is one of the head writers for uh, Bitter and Blue, the SB Nation page covering all things Manchester City. So expect another uh, kind of more bite-sized episode coming out in a few days. Very excited for that one.
1: Yeah, really excited for it. It's going to be good chatting to him right before we put City to the sword in the FA Cup.
0: 4-0 win or nothing for Newcastle United. (laughs) All goals coming from Joe Linton.
1: That's right, yeah. Joe Linton with uh, a hat-trick plus one.
0: Yeah, Joe Linton putting Imeric Laporte in his pocket come Sunday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Every, everything was pretty ridiculous until that last statement,
0: Zach, and then you just took it too far. I did. I did indeed. That's my job here. Well, <laughs> Adam,
2: uh, in until tomorrow night, footy. Footy.